You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to go on the record with our game picks for this Sunday, plus spotlight our game of the week between the Texans and the Patriots with Ted Johnson, three-time Super Bowl champion with New England. Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today previewing all of the week three action with Nick Ferguson. Nick, let's start with one of the pivotal moments last night late in the game. I would love your perspective as someone who played in the secondary. What would you make of the offensive pass interference call against the 49ers? Well, you know, at that point, it's, it's a critical point in the game. And I know I played in the secondary, but, you know, I really didn't like that, that call. Uh, it's just one of those things where as an official, you have to uh, allow the guys to play. And for, for me, I didn't like the call because I didn't really see too much of uh, as far as contact on, on that particular play to even render it. Uh, pass uh, in the fairness call. So uh, it, it's very questionable. There was a lot of questionable calls uh, in, in the game. Uh, we can go back to some calls and some tugging uh, back and forth uh, with uh, Pierre Garçon on a lot of uh, a lot of those plays. And sometimes you wonder because this is Monday night, you know, football. I'm excuse me, Thursday night football. And a lot of the issues, uh, and we always felt this is players. I don't know how Cordell felt is that those guys, uh, you know, want their 15 minutes of fame, too, as well. And the way you get it is just kind of, you know, making calls or not making calls. So it was definitely a call that, you know, I'm not on board with as a player. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they're questionable. You just hope that it doesn't change the outlook or the outcome of a game, and and some probably will say that did. But when watching this Rams team's play as of lately, Nick, uh, we brought up a stat, which is which is crazy. I know it's just week three, but it's the Rams that we're talking about. They're leading the league with their team scoring, not offensively, but just their team scoring with 35.7 points per game on an average. When knowing that and understanding that, which is something we hadn't seen from a Rams team in a long time, and yes, it is just week three, uh, what's your take on this team actually taking the proper steps to look like they're a team to, to actually be able to compete every single week because they're getting the ball in the end zone? Well, this looks. This is a completely uh, different team. I mean, you you change a, a couple of pieces. They traded for Sammy Watkins. Uh, they bring in Robert uh, Woods, and last year Todd Gurley didn't look it look like the rookie that we saw when he first burst onto the scene. And with a lot of those explosive runs, especially in the second level, but that speaks volumes to uh, the organization and bringing in a young coach like. Uh, Sean McVay, we saw what he was able to do with Kirk Cousin and, and Washington, and we were always wondering what was going to happen with Kirk Cousin and his level of performance in that offense, and they started to struggle earlier this season. But uh, looking at what he's been able to do with uh, you know, Jared Goff, and you, look at, or you have to look at it and say, well, because Jared Goff is a young quarterback, yeah, he was very talented coming out of Kyle, out of Kyle but you know, he really didn't have that toolage that he needed in the coaching that he needed under Jeff Fisher. So you bring a guy in that is kind of round about the same age. They can probably have a lot of things in common when they talk, but he understands football, and he understands uh, the problems that Jared Goff was having last year in the offense. So they changed the offense, added some, some pieces around, changed some things with the offensive line. We saw the fact of wanting to get Todd Gurley involved with the, the game, playing more and not just handing, handing him the ball, but 
getting him outside of the pocket because he is one of those running backs, and you have few guys who can do that. They not only can run between the tackles, but they can catch the ball out of the backfield. So they've done some great things for Jared Goff and uh, improve. Uh, there was a stat last night, you know, looking at where he was last year in comparison to this year and how quick he was able to get the ball out of his hands. And you can speak to this as a, as a guy played the quarterback position. It's that timing and that, that rhythm and the throwing mechanics have to be there. Once you correct those, now that makes your, you know, your thinking as a quarterback so much more smoother. So Jared Goff looks really calm in the pocket. He looks really comfortable in the offense. And they have everything working at, at this point now. You know, only time will tell to see if they can kind of keep this up. But, you know, watching Aaron Donald come back after missing so much of training camp and just look like a man on fire, you really have to talk a lot about, you know, this Rams organization and this, this team that they have and what they could possibly do in the division. Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety who spent a decade in the league, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. We all have different approaches to social media. Cordell prefers the retweets. Nick is prolific. Nick, how many times have you tweeted today? I haven't checked. A couple. No. <laughs> you like no, Twitter. I haven't tweeted anything as, as okay, yet, well, but as soon as I get off, I will. I, I, I know you enjoy going back and forth. I try to be a little bit in between. Still, I like watching games in prime time and tweeting. So let me give you my last thought from last night because I got a lot of pushback from 49er fans. You mentioned Aaron Donald. He came up with the sack to seal the victory. Here is my tweet. That's a fitting conclusion for Brian Hoyer's night. Will be intriguing to see how the 49ers look next season with a more competent QB. Was I being too harsh on Brian Hoyer? Well, no, I don't say that because, uh, I mean, look at how the game started off. Uh, we were only 12 seconds into the game, and then there was an interception. Uh, Hoyer knew coming into this week there was a lot of pressure you know, on him to play because you're the quarterback. There's no one really chasing you, and the offense is – uh, yet to put uh, anything uh, in the end zone, any major in the end zone. So all that falls on you as as a quarterback of the team. So uh, some of the criticism is fair. I mean, he understands it. He knows how it works. Cordell can tell you this, too. When you're a quarterback and you're deemed, you know, the face of the franchise for the moment, the pressure is on you. You, you, you can't say, well, when things are going right, you know, I want to be the guy at the podium, and then when things are going wrong, then don't blame everything on me. Now it's the team. You can't have it both ways. So it was great to see Hoy in the offense recover from that debacle early on to put some points on the board. But he knows, going back and watching this film, which he's probably doing right now, there's some things that uh, he could have done. And some wide receivers know, too. They drop a lot of balls. So a lot of this criticism can go both ways, but it falls on the quarterback because you're the guy in the center. You touch the ball on every single play. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a true statement. And, and... To me, when you look at Brian Hoyer, I, honestly, I don't even think the organization thought of winning much this year because the team is so young. I mean, this is a this is a young football team. Carlos Hyde is 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 over forty percent of the offense uh, when it comes down to it, uh, and it just just their inability to do anything consistently at the quarterback position. Because if the quarterback play was a little bit better, I think they would be fine. But let's just be realistic and honest. What were we expecting from Brian Hoyer when he came in as the 49ers quarterback? No one, no one was really expecting anything, Cordell, like you said. It was just like when we break down the schedule, no one was expecting them to win over four games. So if they went 8-8, eight and eight, the idea was that, you know, that's great. No, it would have been never a really year. gave the team uh, a chance to do anything. And, and Brian Hoyer, who's been, you know, a journeyman, you know, so far, no one really believes in him as a quarterback 
that he was the guy. And everyone's saying, okay, well, what's going to happen with the quarterback position? Is it going to be Sam Darnold? Or are they going to try to go after Kirk Cousins? You know, because of his relationship with Kyle Shanahan, we don't know that. But we knew going in that it was going to take some time for this team to try to gel because you got to think about it. They had 15 rookies on the team and 17 guys from who played on other rosters last season. So now you're talking about the, the issue of the chemistry and that cohesiveness being there. Sometimes it takes one or two years for that to happen. So to watch those guys go out, you know, that's the Rams and the 49ers and compete like this, looking at what both organizations went through last year. It was great for Thursday night football because everyone was complaining that we don't really have two great games, especially within the division. So it was exciting to see these two franchises get out there and put as many points on the board as they did. Chatting with Nick Ferguson, my co-host, NFL First and Goal comes your way this Sunday, every Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune in premium. Upgrade now. You'll get seven hours of commercial-free live listen-ins across the league, plus the home-and-away call of every game on the road to Super Bowl 52. Nick, as we wrap it up from my perspective, let's look ahead to Sunday, one of the marquee early games, and we're going to be busy. Nine early games plus the London game between Baltimore and Jacksonville will be winding down as we sign on. Atlanta and Detroit, both 2-0. How much you buying the Lions to start the year and how encouraging was it to see them establish the run on Monday night against the Giants? That, that was one of the elements, B-Web, that was missing uh, from this offense. We know what you know Matthew Stafford was capable of uh, last year and in his career as a quarterback, and they had so many games where, I believe it was nine games where they had late comebacks. So to see them go out as a team and just really uh, play the way that they did, I mean, that is very optimistic and promising if you are a Detroit Lions team. And this is something that this organization hasn't had in, in a while, that the, the idea that we can not only win the first two games, but there's a possibility that, that we can get into the playoffs, get a nice seed, and really make it go out of this thing because they have some talent on the defensive side of the ball, but all of it starts with the money man, Matthew Stafford. And, you know, I was always wondering, because they gave him this enormous contract, that was a lot of pressure. Could he leave, live up to it? Could he kind of try to duplicate the same level of performance last year? But, you know, being able to have a little ground and pound, take the pressure off the quarterback, and then Stafford's ability to throw the ball down the field, we could see a shootout sort of like what we saw last night between the Rams and the 49ers when Detroit and Atlanta get together. So are you buying in Sam Bradford and his ability uh, to play as good as he's playing? Because last year they played well. I know there were a lot of close games in the end where he had to come from behind and win those games. But the way he's played so far this year, his ability to move around in the pocket, find a soft spot, scramble, and still throw on the run, uh, would you say that imposes a threat to some defenses when it comes to being disciplined in their rush lanes, to making sure you know where the receivers are so that – they don't actually, because of the scramble drill, uh, get you off, off, off of your spot and out of position. Absolutely. I'm, listen, I'm talking to Slash, the guy who coined the phrase, because of his <laughs> athletic ability and put stress on the edges and the perimeters of the defense and force you know, defensive coordinators and organizations to draft guys just to keep you in the pocket. So, no, Matthew Stafford is not Cordell Stewart, but he does have a little wiggle to him and then – that mobility allows him to move the chains because, as you, and you know, you understand this, those receivers that are deep come shallow. Those who are shallow go deep. And as a defender, it makes it really difficult on you. Coaches try to teach the scramble drill, and it's always plaster, plaster, plaster. 
but it's hard to take your eyes off that quarterback who's approaching the line of scrimmage, and then all of a sudden you lose your man. That's just another element, another wrinkle, you know, the, the Atlanta Falcons are going to have to prepare for, and other teams within the division and around the league, to know that this, Matthew Stafford not only has a cannon for an arm, he has mobility to soften up the defense, so now he still can throw the ball. And he's, he's one of those guys who scrambles to throw the ball. If the run is open, there's, there's a wide-open lane, he's going to take those yards, and he's going to get down. So it's going to really affect how you game plan for Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions. Well, Matthew Stafford may not have Cordell's mobility, but I think Cordell would not mind having Matthew Stafford's money. <laughs> oh, who was it? 27 a year? <laughs> Come on. Got to we, be we, we all would love to have that cash that, that he's having, but I'm excited you know, that, he, that he's starting off the season you know, the way that he's starting off. There's some optimism in Detroit. That's a city that definitely you know, needs something to uh, kind of you know, fire up that fan base and that city. So we just have to see how far he can push this. Nick, great information as always. Rest up. Looking forward to another big Sunday with you on NFL First and Goal, 1 Eastern on TuneIn Premium. Thank you, Nick. All right. See you Sunday. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hunt down the man in black with the gunslinger. The first story in Stephen King's iconic fantasy adventure, The Dark Tower, playing now on TuneIn. An epic tale that spans across the dark Mohane Desert. Follow the story of Roland DeShane, the last gunslinger of the Midworld, on a spellbinding journey into good and evil. The gunslinger had followed the man in black across the desert for two months now. With your premium subscription, listen to The Dark Tower. Tower One, The Gunslinger, Stephen King's number one national bestseller today on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's go round the league with Hall of Famer Jason Taylor of Westwood One Sports. Jason, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you joining us on the program again, and I know I'm sure it was an emotional night for you in Houston. We had a wonderful conversation with you when you found out you were on your way to the Hall of Fame. Can you take us back to the speech? I think it touched so many people as you laid out your journey, just the 20 miles from playing college football at Akron to Canton, but so many memories and twists and turns along the way. How much time did you put into the speech and was it a combination of coming off a script or being in the moment? How did you approach the delivery? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, it was a, uh, an amazing journey from not only the last 20 years, but you know, particularly the last six months from finding out when I was in Houston that I was going to be in the Hall of Fame and up to the point where you get to Canton and all, all the NFL and the Pro Football Hall of Fame do for, for the inductees. I mean, it was an amazing week. But the, the speech started really great – Right after I got back from from Houston, and you start to put together, because over the course of you know, 15 years of playing and 20 years since I've started playing in the NFL, and you know the 42 years or 43 years I've been alive, there's a lot of people that have a part of that, and, and if you want to thank and acknowledge, but knowing you have a certain amount of time to do it, so it was uh, pretty comprehensive sitting down and and uh, had a couple guys help me writing the speech, guys that know what they're doing putting speeches together, but. I actually didn't practice the speech. I didn't read the entire script and practice the speech until about two hours before the uh, the ceremony. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to go up and have it rehearsed. I knew everything that was in there because because it came from me and from my heart, and it just it just came out. But it was uh it was a, kind of a a strange but empowering time 
at the same time because it was really the first time that I kind of became vulnerable in front of people and, and put, you know, some of my history and background out there publicly. So it was a, it was a really cool moment. It was great that I had so many teammates and former teammates and, and family there. And obviously my kids being there was, was the world to me. Jason, we appreciate you sharing that story. And, and, and it's always great to, to get levels of transparency from guys who are, uh, let's just say like King Kong when they played. I mean, that's the way you played the game. You, you, you pretty much took over the territories that you, you were in when playing outside linebacker, defensive end, wherever coach had you standing and you did a phenomenal job, but what was the driving force for you? Not saying that you were thinking about the hall of fame or anything like that, but now that you're in and you look back on it, what was truly the driving force to get you to put uh, 110% every time we saw you play um, on the field on Sundays, Thursdays, or Mondays? Uh, well, as you said, it certainly wasn't the Hall of Fame. Never thought of that when I was playing. and it was It's never even in your mind. I used to sit, sit in the stadium at home here in Miami and look up at the Ring of Honor and see the guys' names, and Marino and Zalka and all the guys, not only that are in the Hall, but also in the Ring of Honor. And, and used to always look at them as that's a whole other league. Like, it's a whole different stratosphere, so I'm not even shooting for that. But my my driving force every week was I, I wanted to be the best. I, I wanted to be the best at what I did and, and perfect my craft every day. And I knew that this was only going to last so long, whether it was a year, five years, 10. Luckily for me, it was 15. But there wasn't going to be a day that went by that I didn't, that I didn't go out there and play the game with passion and energy and because I love what I was doing. You know, I love the game of football. I love. I mean, I still do it now. And I coach two youth teams, a high school team and a youth team, and I like – it's volunteer work in the youth level, and I just I love the game of football. And it wasn't until I really fell in love with the process of being great that I started. That's when I started becoming. You know, I hate saying that I was great, but I, that's when I started becoming a player, making making plays, and and really taking my game to a different level. And I I try to tell these young kids now that that I coach, you can't you can't fall in love with winning because you're not going to win every game. You know, it's not about uh, or what do you want to do? I want to, I want to win, coach, or I want to do this. I want, it's about the process of getting there. And it's it's so different than the result. The result of winning is great. The result of losing sucks. But the process of being of falling in love with being great is is that's that's the beauty of it. That's that's where I found my inner peace, so to speak, and and really, really, really fell in love with the game. And and the biggest thing for me was I always said that I hated losing more than I loved winning. And that, that drove me every day. I do not want to lose. I understood that there were a lot of factors that went into winning and losing the game, but it damn sure wasn't going to be because I didn't do something I needed to do. The Hall of Famer Jason Taylor is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's get to the game. You'll be calling Sunday Night Football in Westwood 1, Raiders at the Redskins. Jason, we know Khalil Mack is one of the five best defensive players in all of football, but that Raider defense struggled last year watching tape, getting ready to call this game. How much improvement have you seen defensively? They look good week one against Tennessee, and then I think everybody's going to beat the Jets as they did. <laughs> well, it's you know it's the NFL, so there was – there's always a puncher's chance with the Jets, and, and uh, you know it was competitive for a minute, and, and Oakland took it to them. But the, the Oakland Raiders are a really good football team, and a team that was on the come up last year and doing very well, and obviously had the unfortunate injury to, to Derek Carr that kind of hindered them toward the end. But as you said, offensively they're very good. Defensively, not as good as they would have liked to have been last year. Um, you see improvement early. It's it's so tough to really tell what a what a team's 
personality is or what their calling card is going to be, you know, two weeks into the year. But they understand that they have to get better defensively. If you look at some of the other powers or quote-unquote powers in the AFC, you know, the, the New England Patriots, Kansas City, some of those teams, Denver who played very well last week and took it to Dallas. I mean, that's what they they need to they need to understand that you know, their defense has to be able to be on par with some of those type of teams, and and that's their work in progress. That's what that's what they get, they go out and they draft and have a have a couple rookies starting, you know, with Lee and and uh, Vanderdose starting on their on their off, on their defensive line and linebacker core now. So it's they're building it, but that that team is a, an offensive based team. Their defense needs to catch up, but they're an offensive based team and a pretty darn good offense as well. Jason, when you look at this Miami Dolphins team, you, you see a, a Jay Cutler that came out of nowhere. He's supposed to be in the booth somewhere wearing a nice tie and a, and a nice two-piece to a three-piece suit. But the brother decided to come back to the National Football League with Adam Gaze and, and play for your former team, the Miami Dolphins. And I knew it was just one game because the first game was postponed. But uh, what you see of him in comparison to Ryan Tannehill, and it's not saying Ryan Tannehill wasn't playing solid football with Coach Adam Gase, but Jake Cutler, he looks really comfortable. He made some quality plays. Uh, the defense is playing sound. I think he has all the pieces around him. How do you see this team actually faring this year considering they're having another opportunity to make a run to get back into the postseason? Well, yeah, Jake came out of the booth. And, you know, you make really good money on TV, but, but uh, starting quarterbacks in the NFL – when the starter goes down in training camp, you hold all the cards. So it's a much better paying job to be in the huddle than uh, on TV. So Jay made that decision, but I think it's a great fit for him. I mean, obviously he and Gase have history and they worked well together in, in years past. And, and luckily for the Miami Dolphins, Jay, Jay was available and, and willing to come out of retirement and be able to step in. So you know, he's very familiar with the offense. He understands the system. He understands how, how Adam works. And then if you look at the skill guys that, he has around them. I mean, Devontae Parker and uh, Jay Ajay in the backfield, Jarvis Landry. I mean, he's got a lot of skilled guys that he doesn't have to try to do too much. And, you know, the difference with, with – you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between Jay and, and uh, Ryan Tannehill. I thought Tannehill had a really good year last year, particularly for having changed an offense again. You know, if you look at the transition transitions that, that Tannehill's had to make in his career – with the revolving door of offensive coordinators and, and changes. I mean, I thought he did a pretty good job, but Jay is a gunslinger. You know, he, Jay can do things with his arm that, that not many people on this planet can do. And sometimes that gets him in trouble. Sometimes he takes chances that he shouldn't take or, or try to fit balls in places where he shouldn't fit him in. People give him heck sometimes because he, he kind of has a, a, a laissez-faire look to his face. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. It's just, just the way he goes about his business. But, I think it's a good fit for them. Uh, it was a really good two weeks of dealing with adversity and turmoil and, and a lot of quote unquote distractions, you know, with with Hurricane Irma coming through and and wreaking devastation on the Keys and, and the Miami and Florida Lauderdale area. I mean, it was you know, they had to cancel a game, go out to the West Coast, and really open up shop out there for for over a week and and rebounded and, and played a a pretty good team and found a, found a way to get a win. So great start. They go to New York this week, and you, know, you, you talk about everyone beats the Jets. You know, you, you, being being a longtime Dolphin and playing the Jets a lot of times, <laughs> when when both teams were good or bad, you never know what you're going to get in those kind of games. Then you were on both sides of that rivalry. I recall. I, I think some of yeah. our fans may not remember that you played in our nation's capital. So, 
As we get ready for Oakland and Washington, you'll be in the booth for Westwood One sports coverage of Monday Night Football. What do you make of how the Redskins have dealt with Kirk Cousins? Certainly no need to hold a bake sale for him with back-to-back franchise tenders, all in $44 million bucks combined the last two years. But, Jason, it feels like they like Cousins, but maybe they don't love him. Yeah, it's kind of like the girl you date for six, seven, eight years, and you never you never propose to her and go ahead and get married. You know, but you, you take care of her for those for the money years. It, it's tough for a player to, to be on a one-year contract, you know, albeit it's guaranteed money, and people look at the number and say, well, he's he's making a ton of money. He has nothing to complain about. You know, it's This is such a short-term league in, in a lot of ways, and you never know what's going to happen. And you, know, you look at the cases like uh, Alex Smith when he was in San Francisco, and you know he misses one game with a with a concussion, and next thing you know, it's you know he's gone. It's the Kaepernick show. So players want security, they want longevity, they want to know where they're going to be year in and year out, and it makes a player in a lot of ways. If you get the right player, I think it makes them so comfortable. It makes them more comfortable to where they can relax, open up shop a little bit, get their family rooted, and and, and get to work, and not kind of. You, know, you want a player looking over his shoulder sometimes and, and always being competitive and understanding his job's never safe, but, but not in that way. But it, it, it's hard to sell to people because of the amount of money he's making, but they like him in Washington. He's a, I think he's a, a really good quarterback. He's done a, a lot of good things for them and won a lot of ball games. It's not always flashy. It's not always pretty. Um, you know, he may not sell the most dirt. He's out there for a quarterback. But if you look around this league and in a quarterback-driven league and, and see the uh, – the plethora of bad quarterback play. There's a lot of teams out there that would love to have him, I'm sure. Jason, as always, we appreciate your time and insights. Have a great call on Sunday night on Westwood One, and congratulations again on the speech. I think you touched a lot of people as you were completely candid about your journey to the Hall of Fame. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Between game-winning drives and walk-off home runs, follow TuneIn Sports on social media and get the latest scoop on our great sports shows. From MLB at the plate to NFL No Huddle, be the first to know about upcoming interviews with some of the biggest stars in sports. Or check out behind-the-scenes coverage that you can't get anywhere else. Like us at TuneIn Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and keep up on all the latest news and happenings from around the world of sports. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's break down our game of the week between the Texans and the Patriots with Ted Johnson, three-time Super Bowl champion linebacker with the Patriots, now working for Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Ted, thanks so much for taking the time. Let's start with your takeaways from Deshaun Watson's starting debut. Short week on the road last week against the Bengals, and he won the game with that dazzling run. Hey, yeah, Brian, Nicorell, what's up, brother? It's good to be on with you guys. Um, yeah, that was, you know, look, when, on a short week uh, on the road, when you consider the fact that they had, they had uh, Brian Cushing was suspended, Dwayne Brown, his starting left tackle, hasn't showed up. Um, you know, had three tight ends uh, on concussion protocol. Uh, there was a lot of things going against that team uh, on the road when you consider the Cincinnati Bengals in week one got waxed too, so their backs were against the wall. Going to their place on a short week with all those factors factored in, I thought it was a, it was a pretty good performance. It's not going to be pretty, you know. It's not going to be pretty. It's uh, you know the, as of right now, you know they're just starting his the clock for his 
his pro, you know his uh, kind of development has started now. You know they did not have Sean Watson splitting reps with the ones during training camp. It was not an open competition between the two quarterbacks, him and Tom Savage. So that slowed his development. Um, but now that he is in there, there's no going back to Tom Savage. Cordell will tell you that you can't go back to Tom Savage after you've gotten this far with uh, Deshaun Watson. So his development process has started now. So I'm curious to see with 10 days between the uh, the Cincinnati game and the Patriots game, what new plays we're going to see. I'm, I'm guessing we're going to see a lot more boots, a lot more you know half rollouts, maybe some read option type plays, and then some play action off of that. So that's what I'm, I'm, I'm expecting. And that's what really, frankly, needs to happen. Um, you better show the Patriots something you hadn't showed them before if you have any chance of winning up there in Foxborough. Go Buffs, by the way. But uh, Go Buffs. Would, you, would you say that um, if you're a defensive coordinator, uh, to game plan to take away DeAndre Hopkins? Because you would have to assume, because he's your better piece on the offensive side of the football outside of Lamar Miller, of course, running between the tackles, uh, that he may target a DeAndre Hopkins more just to find a rhythm and be a little bit more comfortable because he's such a young quarterback, he's going to try to go to someone he trusts most. Yeah, no, Correll. I mean, it's there's the problem. There's it's he's had 30 targets uh, D Hop in the first two games with uh, 14 receptions, and it's it hasn't been you know it hasn't been the most production uh, from a guy who's the highest paid wide receiver in the league at this point. Part of that's because there's been no other options, Cordell Brian. I mean, there's just no other no other guys on this team really. Braxton Miller, he's I don't know what's going on with Braxton Miller, but he's you know he's got to figure this thing out because he had a big drop early in the first opening series against Cincinnati last week. He's been a non-factor the last couple years that he's been there. There just isn't really other options. And so to me, what you have to do, because in the Patriots took out DeAndre Hopkins last year, they played week three last year in Foxborough and they, all they did was play cover two and they put a guy right up in the D hop space. uh, They were physical with them. And teams don't care if they get holding calls against DeAndre Hopkins. They just want to get in his head early and frustrate him. And then they got a safety over the top always, so it allows corners to go up there and be physical with them. And then they shut down everybody else. And they got to get the running game going, man. Not only Lamar Miller, but Dante Foreman, the third rounder out of uh, University of Texas. This guy's a bowling ball butcher knife, man. He can run between the tackles, and he's got explosiveness uh, to turn the corner uh, on the edge, too. So, to me, number 27, Dante Foreman's got to get more of the lion's share of the carries, particularly early in the game. So that sets up play action. So that can get T-Hop you know, more, uh, you know, more space because right now he has trouble getting off jams. He has trouble getting separation. And so more play action passes will help uh, his cause in that, in that area. Ted Johnson is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's focus on your specialty defense. We know about the talent defensively in Houston, number one in total D last year, even after J.J. Watt went down with a back injury. But, Ted, do you think they're missing Vince Wilfork this year, who's retired and could wind up in the Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, don't, I really don't think there's a big, uh, big drop-off between uh, Vince and, and D.J. Reader. All due respect to Vince, you know, he was having a hell of a career and a Hall of Fame career. But he, you know, he he lost a step, and DJ Reader, who's filling in for him, is, is to me is 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 going to be just fine. He's uh, he's he's a he's a kid on the rise. I think he'll be just fine. And they got two stud middle linebackers, Bernard McKinney, uh, and then Zach Cunningham. And that's the guy to watch, guys. Number forty-one, Zach Cunningham. He's a rookie, second rounder out of Vanderbilt. He's going to be asked to cover those backs out of the backfield. And good God, they have they have some versatility in that backfield. The Patriots do with Deion Lewis. 
you know, Rex Burkhead, James White, who had 14 catches in the Super Bowl last year. So those two guys are going to have to handle those running backs, particularly in the passing game. Um, but, you know, I think they're stout up front. Now, the front seven, I thought of them as the best in the NFL. I did. Um, but they haven't shown it in the first two weeks. Zero sacks combined between J.J. Watt, J.D. Clowney, and Whitney Merciless. And I think one thing is to, uh, that's interesting to watch, you guys, is that they got J.D. Clowney, who's supposed to be this transcendent player three years ago. We all remember. I mean, there's, this is a once-in-a-generation kind of player. Well, he has yet to live up to that hype. I mean, he had a nice Pro Bowl season last year playing defensive end in a 3-4. Now they have him playing outside linebacker in this 3-4 defense, and they're asking him to do more coverage-type stuff. He looks confused. He looks uh, at times lost out there, um, as opposed to, you know, every play last year, defensive end, putting his hand in the dirt and just going to get the quarterback. They have him ask, they're asking him to play outside linebacker now, and I think it's taken away his stinger. He doesn't look as effective. Now, it's still early. You see he can improve uh, a lot, you know, from now until the end of the season, but that's just something to watch as well. This team has been able to find ways to win, whether it's going with two or three quarterbacks in the season, uh, particularly that position especially, uh, but or even winning with their defense with turnovers, creating good field position and just kicking field goals. When you look at this football team with Deshaun Watson, is this the way you need to stay throughout the entire year and not go through this carousel of quarterbacks going in and changing of quarterbacks yeah. in and out, how Bill O'Brien has done over some time? Yeah, this, this, we're done with that, Cordell. We're, we're done with the quarterback carousel. You know, it's number four is our guy. Let's not look back. We're only going to look forward. And so you have to gear the entire offense around him. You know, this, this city has been just, I mean, waiting for a quarterback that's, you know, competent and that is, you know, more than competent. They can come in here and give this, this city hope, and they just haven't had it. They really haven't had it. I mean, the end of Matt Schaub's career – Ended with a thud here, and then it's just been a rotation of, of quarterbacks since then. And so Deshaun Watson, it, it gives you hope, and it gives these players hope too. And, you know, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, it's not going to look good at times. It's going to be real sloppy. But the one thing that he has, and this permeates, Cordell, you know, being a quarterback, superior confidence is what his superpower is. Deshaun Watson has unbelievable poise and composure at critical junctions in games. He doesn't, he doesn't freak out, man, and he always seems to do the right thing. I trust this guy. I really do. Um, whether it's running with football in the open field, whether it's making good decisions. Now, he almost threw two interceptions the other night, but he did it. You know? and, and he's a guy that can overcome his mistakes. You know? he, he doesn't let bad plays get in his head. So that confidence will probably you know, it's going to permeate throughout the entire uh, franchise and fan base. And when we drafted him here, the fan base went nuts. Everybody was so happy that they went and got such an accomplished player in college. And when I talked to Dabo Sweeney after the, after the draft. He said he will transform the culture here. That's what kind of player he is. So we're all excited to see this transformation because it's been a long time since they've had a competent quarterback here in Houston. And as you know, Watson had 30 interceptions combined the last two years at Clemson, still made it to back-to-back national title games, won the national championship. Ted, last one for me. Texans have won back-to-back division titles, but there was some off-season speculation about Bill O'Brien's future. Do you think drafting a player they hope will become a franchise quarterback like Watson will keep O'Brien in Houston? Yeah, that's that's kind of what you're thinking, right? I mean, this, you bring in a kid, and you can he's a for his quarterback development, and he's you know it's, it's probably bottom. He's got one more year on his deal. Maybe it's bottom a, a couple extra years. You know, there's been talk about. You know, who's got the power over there? Who's got the final say? You know, everybody wants to assess blame, right? That's what we do in this world. 
Um, and everybody wants to know whose fault is it for, you know, the, the issues on this team. You know, and I think the biggest majority of the blame should be really directed at Rick Smith. I think Bill O'Brien coached his ass off. I do. I think he's a damn good football coach, and I think he does the best with what he's given. Um, I think a lot of the problems come down to personnel, and that's a Rick Smith problem. That's not a Bill O'Brien problem. It's a Rick Smith problem. So uh, whether the, the higher-ups, you know, the owners see it that way is, is to be determined. But to me, Bill O'Brien can coach his ass off. He does a great job with what he's given. Um, and so, it's you know, there's a lot of – money in salary, in salary cap space that they didn't spend on offensive line. Offensive line is a huge issue. There's depth issues at wide receiver. They didn't bring in any uh, veteran, which I thought they should have, you know, some grizzled vet to kind of balance out the youth on this team. They didn't do that either. So we'll see what happens after the season and how the season goes. A lot of that, you know, a lot of it's going to be determined whether or not Bill O'Brien is, uh, you know, signed on for extra years or not. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hi, I'm Kelly Sutton from TuneIn Country Roads. Was it more love or war putting this together? I loved it, but it it was war. Really? We're broadcasting every day live from Nashville. News and interviews with your favorite country stars. When I first heard the song, I knew it was me. Kiss me, all the pretty girls say. With all of your favorite new country songs. Join me on Country Roads on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to go on the record with what we are more than sure will happen in week three. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. We start in London. Jacksonville is not only America's team, they're an international brand. Taking on the 2-0 Baltimore Ravens. Nobody beats the Jacksonville Jaguars when they play at Wembley Stadium. I'm taking Leonard Fournette and company. How about you? They get their first loss in London. I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens, this defense, and it's also the running game with Joe Flacco. I like what they're doing. I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens. Now it's on to the nine early games. 2-0 Denver on the road taking on Buffalo at 1-1. Here's Denver QB Trevor Simeon. They're good. Uh, they're so stout. They're aggressive. They're fast. Um, they're tough inside. I mean, the whole front seven, it's, it's a really, really good front. So it's going to be a great challenge for us. And, uh, we got to match their physicality, especially on the road. You got to try to find a way to, to, to run the ball and, um, like I said, match their physicality. Bill's head coach, Sean McDermott, well aware of the challenge of the Bronco D. Well, they're a good defense, and, you know, they do a good job of swarming to the football, and, and uh, they're stout up front, obviously, with 58 and what he does and what he brings to the table. Um, he can wreck a game plan, so we've got to be aware of where he is and, and then, uh, you know, make sure we control the line of scrimmage. I'll take Denver on the road. How about you? I'm going with the Denver Broncos. I like what they have across the board. Divisional matchup, Saints and Carolina. No Greg Olson for the Panthers. Game to be played in North Carolina. I'll take the Panthers at home. How about you? I'm going with the Panthers as well, yes. 
2-0 Steelers on the road in Chicago. Here's head coach Mike Tomlin talking about how difficult it can be to play at Soldier Field. I think the significant thing about the Bears is to acknowledge, man, that we're going into a hostile environment versus a, a, a team that's that's got some urgency. Um, I've been 0-2. Um, I know the, the urgency associated with that in this business, and I'm sure that they feel it, and I'm sure that we're going to get um, their best efforts because of it. Wonderful sales job. I love that Coach Tomlin emulates yours truly. There's a T in there. It. <laughs> Pittsburgh will have the it factor. They win at Chicago. How about you? All that he gave lets you know that they're going in there to win that game. I'm rocking with the black and yellow Pittsburgh. Atlanta, Detroit. Somebody's going to raise their record to 3-0. and I'll take the Falcons on the road. How about you? I'm going with the Detroit Lions at home against the Dirty Birds. I don't think they'll be – I think Vic Beasley is going to be a big loss for this defense. They'll, they'll see it. I think Matthew Stafford continue his trend. Running game, defense, playing great. I'm going with the Detroit Lions. Let's see if we keep this run going for the Detroit Lions. Cleveland Browns favored on the road. That tells you about the issues in Indy. Cleveland had five turnovers last week, part of the losing equation on the road at Baltimore. I'm going to take the Browns to pick up their first victory. How about you? I'm going with Indy at home. I'm going to go ahead on and allow Abrissette to come in and and continue to do what he's uh, tried to do other than the turnover he gave to Tyron Matthew in that game against Arizona. I'm going with... Thank you. Dramatic pause for emphasis. Tampa Bay's on the road to Minnesota. No Sam Bradford, no chance. You can ride with Case Keenum. I'll take the Bucks. I like Case Keenum. I'm rocking with the team opposite of the Minnesota Vikings. I'm going with Tampa Bay. Much more intriguing matchup. A playoff rematch at Gillette Stadium. Houston led by Deshaun Watson taking on the Patriots. Here's the rookie QB of the Texans. Uh, it's big. It's a great opportunity for not just me, but my, the whole team and this organization. So, uh, you know, for us to go up there and, and, and try to get a win, it's going to be tough. But um, it's going to be a great challenge for us, and we're up for it. We need the passion and energy of Bill Belichick to get us ready for the weekend. I think he's done a really, really solid job. I have a lot of respect for the coaching staff and those players. And we had great work with them down in West Virginia. Uh, so you can really see up close how, how talented they are and how competitive they are. So we're going to have to do a we're going to have to do a good job in a lot of areas. I'm taking the Patriots at home. How about you? I'm going with the Patriots, too, as well. I'm going with Darth Vader. That's Bill Belichick. Great. Yeah, I'm going with New England. Yeah. He did not breathe like Darth Vader. Shh. Yeah, he was talk like him almost. Not saying much at all. Divisional game. Dolphins on the road at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey taking on the Jets. Here's the head coach of Gangrene, Todd Bowles. Tough running team. Jai's very good back. They block very well up front. Three great receivers. Got Julius Thomas at tight end. Obviously, defensively, they're very disruptive up front. Good cover linebackers, hard hitting safeties, and corners don't let the ball over the top. Miami head coach Adam Gase says it's going to be a physical encounter in the swamps of New Jersey. You know, with Coach Bowles, is he stops the run, and, you know, that's one of the things that we really like to hang our hat on, and he does a good job of stopping them, and he did a good job against us last year, and I know statistically it, it looked good on paper, but, you know, the first first game we played against them, that was that was not easy sledding, and we popped two runs right at the end of the game that kind of made it look like we had a better day than what we did. You know, when we play these guys, it's a physical physical game. It's a division game. You know, it's you know it's it's one of those games. It's, it's a This is a tough game. This is one of those ones where throw everything out the window because it's it's going to be a slugfest. Oh, throw the record books right out the window, Cordell, but I can't talk myself into picking the Jets. I'm taking Miami. How about you? Of course I'm taking Miami. Jay Cutler's going to do a great job. All right. You foreshadowed this pick. Make it official. Eagles and Giants. Who do you like? I'm going with the Eagles. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. 
I'll take the Giants to save their season. If I'm wrong, we'll burn the tape. Three late games. Seattle on the road at Tennessee. The challenge of a battered Seattle offensive line against the Titan defense that's been up and down. I'll take Seattle on the road. How about you? I'm going with the Titans at home. I I think they'll figure this thing out. I'm going with the Titans. Cincinnati hasn't scored a touchdown. 0-2 on the road to Green Bay. I'll take the Packers at home. How about you? Cincinnati's losing again. I'm going with Green Bay. Kansas City could be the best team in all of football. Chargers back-to-back kicking losses. Oh, that's a kick in the head. They're 0-2. I'll take Kansas City on the road. How about you? You're drinking Alex Smith's Kool-Aid. I like it. I'm going with Kansas City as well. Finally, Sunday night football. Beast mode, Marshawn Lynch. Will he be dancing as he did on the sideline when Oakland beat the Jets on the road in our nation's capital? Kirk Cousins engineered some late-game magic to beat the Rams on Sunday. I have the Raiders in my top five in my power rankings. I can't be more sanctimonious on a big word Friday than normally. The silver and black are back. I'll take Oakland on the road. How about you? I'm going with Washington. I think Washington comes out after having a couple tough weeks, beat a Rams team. I get that. It was great, great victory for them. I think they come back and and play against a really good Oakland team. Uh, Now this is where Josh Norman will be tested. Uh, This is a a receiving core that's really good with a quarterback that has a great arm. Offensive line is really solid. But I want to see what they do. I'm going to challenge Washington. I'm going to Washington this week. And that concludes more than sure. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. At home or on demand, listen to every episode of your favorite podcast right here on TuneIn. TuneIn has the world of news and politics covered with popular podcasts like Can He Do That? by The Washington Post. That's right. This is Can He Do That? A podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. And Pod Save America. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. And TuneIn brings you to the center of investigative reporting with Reveal. Listen to your favorite podcasts or discover new ones today on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's get your fantasy fix with Brittingham T of Roto Radar. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked off, intercepted. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix. Well, that we're pleased to be joined by Britting MT of RotoRadar.com. Britt, thanks for taking the time. Let's start in our nation's capital. Washington's ground game was solid against the Rams in Week 2. But how are you evaluating the fantasy values of the running backs against Oakland and moving forward? Some injuries to be aware of, too, right? Yeah, you know, uh, the Redskins were impressive in Week 2. This week, however... We have a full-blown running back by committee situation here, and I'm not real sure we can trust any of them. The injury situation you were mentioning is Rob Kelly was expected to not play this week, but he's actually practicing in full today. And so if he plays, we've got him, we've got the rookie P. Ryan, and we've got Chris Thompson all splitting carries. And while the game is a potential shootout here with Oakland, I'm not real sure you can trust that rushing attack week in, week out. Just so you know, I am buying the Detroit Lions 
Just so you know, I think they're a real team and they're a contender for that division. Yeah. But I'll ask you, how do you handicap that backfield? And do you favor any of them for this week's game at home against the Atlanta Falcons? Well, the Lions appear to be the real deal. They uh, get a shot to prove it this week at home against the Falcons. And one thing we've learned this season, and it's a trend you can take to the bank from uh, 2016, is you attack the Falcons with pass-catching backs. We saw what Tariq Cohen did to him in week one, and we saw last week what uh, Green Bay Packers' Ty Montgomery did to him. And this week you get elite pass-catching back Theo Riddick. Now, the Lions' Theo Riddick, is a very explosive pass catcher, but they've shown that they're going to stick with Amir Abdullah as well. So for fantasy purposes, both of them have potential here to have massive games. I would place my bets on Theo Riddick because he is the pass catching back. But the projected game total here is second highest of the weekend. I think you can play them both with confidence. He's Cornell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber. It's the Fantasy Fix with Brittingham T from rotoradar.com. Britt, before you joined us, we were talking about the particulars of the matchup between Seattle and Tennessee and questions about DeMarco Murray dealing with the hamstring injury. That means Derrick Henry could get more touches, but would you play him against that Seattle defense that's been bolstered by the addition up front of Sheldon Richardson coming over from the Jets to the Seahawks? Yeah, I think uh, especially in daily fantasy and season long, if you are an owner of Derrick Henry, I think you can roll him out with confidence here. He's uh, been nothing short of spectacular when given the opportunity. We did get news today that uh, DeMarco Murray is back to practice. So if he does play, of course, that downgrades Derrick Henry's role. But this Seattle team is going on the road. They're going cross-country. And they've shown some weakness in the running aspect this season. Last week, Carlos Hyde touched him up. And I think this week, if Derrick Henry gets the opportunity, you can buy, you can buy a low on him here and play him with confidence. Uh, ever since Sam Bradford's arrived into Minnesota, uh, this offense truly been clicking and has proven in this last game how important he is to this team. But until he officially returns, uh, how are you to adjust? Uh, how are you adjusting? Uh, the values of that Vikings offense? Yeah, I mean, week one, we saw the potential of what this Vikings offense could be. You know, former first-round pick Sam Bradford slinging it around, and Dalvin Cook, their rookie running back, looking dynamic. And now we got word again, it just came out, that uh, Sam Bradford today, the news is he is officially ruled out for week three. Mm. When he's not in there, Case Keenum is a competent backup in the league, but there's a reason why he is a backup quarterback, and it just downgrades everyone. The defenses don't have to respect Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs as much. They can play them more man coverage, and that allows the box to get stacked against Dalvin Cook. It's just a massive downgrade for the entire Vikings offense. It's really a shame, and let's hope that uh, what they're calling a bone bruise checks out as something where it's just this week and maybe we get Sam Bradford back next week. Yeah, and just to clarify what you're talking about, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network reporting Sam Bradford out Sunday for the second consecutive week, meaning Case Keenum will be the starter against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brad, as we think about Odell Beckham Jr. and the highs and the lows, he's come back from the high ankle sprain. We know the Giants can't run. Philadelphia dealing with a variety of injuries in the secondary. What's your take on Odell Beckham? 
I mean, uh, Odell, it's a perfect green spot for Odell this week if he's healthy. There's a couple caveats here. We got to decide is he healthy enough to confidently roll out? Last week, he played and he only played 34 of the 56 offensive snaps, and he didn't show us that he was 100% healthy. Now, it's a week later, and you just mentioned we get a dream matchup here against a team in the Eagles who he shredded in his career. In six games, he's averaging 6.8 catches and 87.3 yards, and he has four touchdowns against the Eagles in those six games. So if he can't get it done this week, I'm not sure what we're waiting on here, and it might be a bigger issue problem more than just Odell's health. That Giants offensive line is a major issue, and the Giants offense as a whole hasn't scored more than 19 points in eight straight games. Who's your top-rated running back uh, this week? Well, for me, when I'm looking at running back this week, I want a guy who is in a favorable game script that uh, should be projected for high-volume usage. And if I had to pick right now, and I'm going with this pick as assuming he is a full-go, 100% healthy here, it's Miami Dolphin, Jay Ajayi. Ajayi last week was used on 94.1% of the offensive snaps. And within that, he got 53.6% of Miami's offensive touches. This is a guy that they gave 28 rush opportunities to. Today, he gets to, or this week, he goes to New York to take on the Jets. They are more than a touchdown favorite, and the Jets' defense has allowed 180 rushing yards in both weeks of the season. And we got news today that defensive lineman Muhammad Wilkerson is a questionable tag, so he might not play further boosting Ajayi's projection here. And if we're going to give him 30 touches against this Jets team, he's in for my top running back play of the week. Fred, last one for me. In terms of your analysis, we often use the phrase small sample size on this program. For example, we're going to talk about the Rams coming up. A lot of people say, look at the offense, and I'm going to counter small sample size. It's been three weeks, and they did it against the Colts and the 49ers. Fantasy takeaways are important to build on a week-by-week basis. So are you waiting until week five, until you have a summary judgment on a player? How do you try to be nimble with your analysis? Well, it's an excellent point you brought up, specifically the uh, Rams. You know, uh, man, that offense just looks dynamic. And uh, no one could have projected the 80 points scored in last night's game. And uh, it's important to note a lot of it has to do with who they're playing and where they're playing and what week and what day. And for the fantasy trends aspect of it, you're looking at things that you can look back to last season. You can look back to the last three years and you can look back to week by week here and confidently for 2017, I think weeks three and four are when it can really start seeing trends. For example, we talked about uh, a little while ago, pass catchers against the Atlanta Falcons defense. That's a trend that we recognized in 2016, and it's proven true in week one and week two. So we're going to assume that it's also true in week three, and we're going to attack it. As always, we appreciate the insights. Let our listeners know what they're going to find when they go to Roto Radar and all your great podcasts here on TuneIn. Yeah, Ryan and Cordell, I definitely appreciate you having us on and uh, for your time here. And uh, if you get a chance, please check us out at rotorator.net. Our Twitter handle is at the Rotorator. And if you get a chance, we specialize in daily fantasy sports. We have everything from 
written articles to our own podcast shows, just offering advice and tips on how to win on DraftKings, FanDuel, and you can even translate that to your season-long home leagues. Come check us out, rotorator.net. Thank you, Britt. Good luck this weekend. We'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.